It is my desire to live for him. Anybody feel that way about the Lord? It's your desire. Nobody can have that for you. Nobody can do that for you. That has to be you. That's what I want. Amen. My desire is to serve him. My desire is to please him. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel the sweet presence of the Lord here right now. Why don't you lift your hands to him one more time. Hallelujah. Lord, I love you today. I really love you. It is my desire, as imperfect as I am, Lord, to please you. It is my desire to draw closer to you, Lord. It is my desire to know you, Lord. It is my desire, oh God, to stand before you as you would want me to. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. My desire is to live for him. To do whatever I can, to be what I have been called to be, and then to be what God would want me to be for others. You do know that you're not here just for yourself, don't you? God didn't put you here just because he needed another face. Amen. He needed you because you were unique. Nobody else like you. Some people might say you're strange. Whatever they might call you. The fact is God made you, created you to be who you are. Amen. Aren't you glad God didn't make everybody in the world just like you? Good Lord have mercy. That thought frightens me. <laughs> Amen. Because I wouldn't even like myself. I'd be the biggest loner there is. I don't like myself sometimes. That's why God has brought so many good people into my life. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Why don't you turn one more time and just smile and hug somebody's neck and tell them it's good to see them in the house of the Lord. Amen. good to have Mama B and Brother T with us today. So thankful that they're here. Let me give you a great idea for Christmas. How do you like that right there? I found out you can have your name embroidered. If you don't like white, they can do whatever color. Sister Jones is doing this as a project for Connecting life. It's a great, great Christmas gift, great stocking stuffer. Just wanted to show it to you. Some of you go so fast outside when church is over, you don't see what's out there. But this is out there. You can sign up for that. You can put your name, what you want on it, what color you want. And Sister Jones will be happy to accommodate you and it will help us connect life. Amen. Everybody said amen. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, the first chapter.
And I want to say to all of our guests, thank you for, our, for being here and for our church family. Sister Ann, it is always good to have you home. Amen. One of these days, you're going to move home. I believe that. I'm going to go this week and see if they've got an apartment for you down there in that place where you used to live. I'm going to see that. Amen. You've got to work by faith, folks. Amen. I'm a proselyter this morning. Praise God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I will begin reading with verse number 1. When I do, I want you to read along quietly with me, but be aware of what the verse is speaking. Uh, also tonight, I want our church family to be here. I feel a very special message for our church family. And so I pray that you would be mindful of that. Come early for prayer. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he hath taken under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also riseth, and the sun goeth down, and haste to its place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and, toward, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All, everybody say all. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. And unless you would sink into deeper depression... I am going to let that be the conclusion of my reading this morning. My subject today is where has all the joy gone? Where has all the joy gone? Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The writer of this book from which we have taken our text this morning, is in one of his bad moods. Kind of strange that a man of his stature and a man of his intellect and wisdom could find himself in such a foul mood. But if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that first chapter is just an introduction. It gets worse before you get better. Here are the words of what I would call a philosophic grumbler. A wise man, but a complainer. He is a man who is not just smart. He's wise. Smart is intelligence. Wisdom is 
how to use that intelligence to make life better. It's the skill that's needed to transform one thing into another. That's wisdom. And Solomon was not just a smart man. He was a wise man. He was able to take the issues of life and the principles of life and he could translate them into an understanding so that life should be better. It ought to be a blessed place. And not only is he wise and not only is he blessed with this gift, it seems, from God, he apparently has everything that anybody would ever want. He has wealth. He names them in, in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes. Wealth, wine, women, works, everything that a man could do to make him happy and to give meaning and purpose to his life, Solomon had it. And yet he is the gripiest, grumbliest, most pitiful thing that you could imagine a man could become. He complains about everything. I mean, he said all. That doesn't exclude anything. All rivers run into the sea. All things in life are the same. Nothing changes. You're born, you grow, you decay, you die. You're born, you grow, you decay, you die. And so here is this wise man in this grumbling, complaining mood. And I'm thinking, how in the world can a man that's that smart and has that kind of resource at his fingertips be complaining about anything? You know what that tells me? You don't have to be poor to be a complainer. You don't have to have lost everything to be a grumbler. You don't have to be impoverished, impoverished to be a person who always sulks about life and goes around with this pity party mentality about how bad things are and always in a bad and foul mood. I learned from this man of intelligence that smart people can still be griping people. <laughs> that smart people can still be complainers. That wise people don't always make good decisions. And so Solomon is in this sour mood and he's griping about everything. He's got everything, but none of it's enough. And there is no doubt that Solomon is a little frustrated at this time in his life. You don't get to be an old man and not look back and be frustrated about some things. And according to historians, Solomon, there are three major books that Solomon is known for. Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and the book of Proverbs. Most historians believe that Solomon wrote the book, the Song of Solomon, when he was a young man. And if you ever read it, you'll know, my Lord, he's so intoxicated on love. 
he, he says some things that will just flat out embarrass you. And then when he gets to middle age and things have kind of calmed down and he's looked at life a little bit, he writes the book of Proverbs. And you can read the book of Proverbs and find in it some of the greatest advice on living life that can be found anywhere. It is the deepest resource that anybody could ever go to to find the principles of right and wrong and how to treat people and how to do business. All of it can be found in the book of Proverbs. And then you come to the book of Ecclesiastes. And here is this man who at one time was so enamored with love that he calls his lover his lovey-dovey. And that's literally my dove. Come away, my dove. That's where we get the eye. The, the, the principle or the concept or the, the phrase, my lovey-dovey, is comes from what Solomon had to say about marriage and the relationship in marriage. And then you go into Proverbs and you read all of those rich, powerful things that Solomon gave to us about life and how to live life. And then you get to the Ecclesiastes and you, just, you think, my, is this the same man? Is this the same person that wrote the song? Is this the same guy? Did, did, did he have some kind of transformation in his life? What changed this man from being a man with such advice to being a grumbler and a complainer? And when you read the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's depressing. I mean, there's, you go read it sometime. It, the weariness of it all weighs so heavy on you. And it seems to me that his problem, Solomon's problem, he got into trouble when he became snared by a flawed idea about life. He became trapped by his own thinking. And he is disheartened and weary of what he called the seeming sameness of life. He is worn out. And even when he looks at nature, nature witnesses and testifies to him that what I've been feeling is right. All you do is you're born, you mature, you decay, you die. You're born, you mature, you grow, you decay, you die. And everywhere Solomon looked, all of life, trees, rivers it seemed, and, and all plants, and then humanity, it seemed to be this cycle of life that everything is the same. There's this monotonous repetition that life gets into, and he looks at life, and all in his mind at this juncture seems lost. It's vanity. There's emptiness. There's no meaning. It's useless. He said the rivers run into the sea, but nothing is accomplished because the sea is never full. And then the waters return, and it happens all over again. And the trees grow, and then they die, and more come and grow, and then they die, and it's the same. Everything just seems to go on. And it seemed to him a futility that life was just one big empty vessel and everything worthwhile had been sucked out of him. And you know what? That can happen to more than just wise people. It can happen and it's happened to people in this building here today. Life can cause you to become jaded if you're not careful. 
And you can get fed up with life and you can get fed up with people and you can get worn down and worn out by issues and problems and you can get unhappy about your situation or unhappy about the progress that you're making in life. Or worse than that, you can become bored. That, that word, I, I, it, it has become more relevant in our day. But people say they're bored. I don't know what to do. I don't have any purpose in my life. And then people can become cynical. You know, you listen to all the stuff going on and it's not hard to be a pessimist. It's not hard to look around and say, you're right, we're going to hell in a handbasket. We're going down the tubes. We're just, we, we're, it's just a matter of time until we're going to be annihilated. And people can grow weary in life if we do not maintain the kind of perspective that is necessary for life to continue to have the purpose that God designed for us. Listen to me. What Solomon said is partially true about life. That the outline of life for all of us is the same. We are born, we grow, we decay, we die. We are born, we grow, we decay. We, that outline is the same for all of us. We are all under that particular snare. But the secret in life is not in the outline of life, but it is in the details of life. It's what you put into that outline that determines whether it's going to be a blessed day or a bad day, whether it's going to be a good time or a bad time, whether my life is going to have meaning or I'm just going to wander through life and wonder why God even allowed me to be born. You see, the more I live for God, the more I realize that the life that I live is found in the details. Because I can't control, I couldn't control when I was born. I didn't have any say-so over who my parents were. I didn't have any say-so about the, the, the financial standings of my family. I didn't have anything to say about where I was born, what county, what city, what community. I didn't have any say-so about the hospital or the, dirt, the nurses or the doctors or the midwives or whoever helped bring me. I didn't have any control over any of that. And then so much of my young life, I still had no control over what was coming into my life. But there did come a day when I grew up enough and I become wise enough and I matured enough to realize that this is the day the Lord hath made and I have to discern what kind of day that's going to be for me. I have to decide whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day. Whether I'm going to be blessed today or I'm going to be depressed today. That God made the day and he made with everything that I need to get through it, but I'm the one that decides whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day. Those are the details in life that you have the control over and nobody else can mess with the details of your life. Nobody can mess with them. You say, well, Brother Hughes, if it wasn't, don't give me if it wasn't for anybody. I am what I am because I want to be what I am. Every dawn and every sunset are the same in some 
manner. It always happens in the same direction, both ways. That never changes. But there are never two days that are always the same. Because there are no two days where the temperature or not only the temperature but the rain or the lack of rain or the sunshine or the clouds, those are the details of life that make a day a day of goodness and blessing or a day of depression. So it's not the outline. And that's what Solomon, as smart as he was, he got hung up on this outline of life. He got hung up on this thinking that life is just the same for everybody. We're born, we're doomed to die, and nothing can be changed about that. But I've come to tell somebody this morning, you can do something about that. You don't have to live and die a grumbling, griping, mean, bigoted person. And you don't have to be hard to get along with in life. You can be happy no matter what your circumstances are. You can lift your hands in joy and worship God whether you have money in the bank or you don't have money in the bank. You can praise God whether everything's going your way or nothing's going your way. If you realize that this is the day the Lord hath made, I, I, I have to choose what I'm going to do with it. And David said, I will rejoice and be glad in it. The power of the details are, you and I need to realize today that the outline of our life may be set, but the details are left to us. And those details are the key of life. And not only are they the key of life, but they are the key to happiness and they are the keys to fulfillment and joy. Life is in the details. Life for many people is an unhappy affair. Why we live in the land of plenty and can be as unhappy as we are, I do not know. I am here to tell you this morning that the poorest person sitting on these pews is a hundred times better than most of the people that Brother and Sister Frizzell deal with in Thailand or Burma or Cambodia. I don't know what the annual income of Cambodia is, but I would dare say that most of our people in the lowest job make more in a month than most of those people make in a year. But it's never enough. And it's not just money, it's family and wives and children and husbands. It's never enough. I could stand on my head and stick my tongue out and twirl around and sing Dixie and that still wouldn't make some people happy. That's because we're hung up on the outline and we've forgotten about the details. And the details are where life is made. That's where you determine and decide what's going to be. So many people, they act as though life is just this heavy burden and life has become weary. And for a lot of people, the joy is no longer there. I've had more people tell me, Brother Hughes, I have no joy in my life right now. 
over the last few months and I've had more people tell me, Brother Hughes, I don't know where it's all gone, but it just seems like life has been sucked out of me. And so we go through life and we're unhappy and we've got all that we have. You can have everything and still not be happy. You can have everything and still complain. And you can be empty and complain. Or you can be full and be thankful and you can be empty and be thankful. Whatever it is, you decide what that's going to be. So let me help you for just a few moments. And I didn't mean to get so wound up a while ago, but I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Amen. I, I feel the Lord in this place. Let me help you help you understand why Solomon got so messed up. And the Lord's been eating on this. I've been, this has been eating on me for weeks, so you'll have to bear with me. But for somebody here today that's dealing with unhappiness and you're dealing with frustration, I want to I help somebody understand what makes life unhappy, what makes life happy. What makes life frustrating? What makes life worth living? And when I started looking at Solomon in this book, I noticed something right off the bat. And it was almost, it was like, I can't believe, I've never, I've read the book of Ecclesiastes, I don't know how many times in my ministry, in my life, but I never had even paid any attention to it. But the first thing that I noticed about Solomon in this sour mood was that Solomon had degenerated to living for himself. And what I, I started, when I started reading through, something caught my attention. And so I thought, that's, that's odd. So I went through the first two chapters, just two chapters. And I noted the number of times that Solomon referred to himself. He said, I. Guess how many times in two chapters? Anybody want to guess? 43 times. He said, I. Now, how many times did he reference God in those first two chapters? Four times. Four times. 43 times he talks about himself. Four times he talks about God. That ought to help you understand why he's so messed up in his mind. Is because life had become about nothing but Solomon. I did this and I did that and I gave myself and I pursued and I reached for and I accomplished and I and I and I and I and I and life became all about him. You know why a lot of people are unhappy right now? Is because life is all about you. You are so selfish in your thinking and your attitude of life. It's just about me. It's about whether people do what I want or they say what I want them to say or I hear what I want them to hear. And so life gets narrowed down to this little bitty box called me. And we think that because life is about me, everybody ought to cater to me. And the truth is, when you get to that point in life, you have stirred up a recipe for me 
misery. And you have stirred up a recipe that will wreck your life when life becomes about you. And everything revolves around you. And life is reduced to that selfish mentality of me, mine, mine. When I make life about me, I not only make myself miserable, but I make everybody connected to me miserable. Some of you don't think this is not doctrine. You don't think this is not scripture. This is Bible, folks. And the reason that a lot of tongue-talking people go through life with a big frown on their face and they deal with depression all the time is because more times than not, we have become more into ourselves than we are anything else. And we talk more about our problem than we talk about God. And we talk about what's wrong in our life more than we talk about what God has done right in our life. My Lord, up to this moment in Solomon's life, God had blessed him so abundantly. He was wiser than anybody in the world, and he had greater riches and wealth. You cannot imagine the amount of money that came into Solomon's coffers on a yearly basis. Billions of dollars came into him, and yet in spite of having all of that, his life is such a miserable wreck he is such a miserable man. He's in such a foul mood. He is, and you don't have to be old to get that way. You can be young and be that way. But the first step to becoming that way is make life about you. Make it about you. Make the aim and the end and the goal of life you. And that spirit will aggravate, it will discourage do you know what will frustrate revival in a church? Make church about me. Brother Hughes, it was too cold this morning. Brother Hughes, it was too loud. It was too this. Nobody greeted me when I came in. And I'm not saying those aren't legitimate complaints, but I'm saying that there's time that we just want to find something to gripe about and we just want to find something to complain about. If they fried our egg, we gripe because they fried it the wrong side up. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to get right up in your hair and mess it up today. That spirit will frustrate growth. It will frustrate personal growth. It will frustrate church growth. It will frustrate relationships. It will make you angry at people that you ought to be loving. It will alienate you from people you ought to stay connected to because of your commitment to them. But when you get to live in life and it's all about what people do for me, you have started down the same road that Solomon went down and we got a book, a whole book written from a frustrated man because life had become all about him. And then when you, get to, when you start down that road, the next town that you're going to get to after you get past Selfishville, you're going to wind up in a place called comparison. If you read the first two chapters, you will find there is a reference that Solomon began comparing his life with others, with other things, trying to measure, I gave myself to this. And he gave himself to the utmost as if he is comparing what he's doing against what somebody else has done. I didn't spare anything in my life. 
I pursued it with all of the gusto and energy that a man could pursue. He said, and so you get into this comparative state. He's, he moved from, into an event that was even more destructive than this, this selfish mentality. He moved into a, an a even more destructive pattern of living. And that is when you start comparing. You compare your spouse with somebody else's spouse. You compare your job with somebody else's job. You compare your house with somebody else's house. You compare your job, your, 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 your money, your this or that. And you start looking. Looking at life and saying, well, you know, they have it a little better than I do. And they're not as holy as I am. They're not as committed as I am. He began to compare. Let me tell you how to wreck your life. Start comparing. Well, you know, that's a good way to ruin your life, wreck relationships, your peace, your future. You know how to ruin your children? Start comparing your children to somebody else's kids. Well, why don't you act like those kids? Why don't you behave like those kids? You know what you're going to do? You're going to give your kids or your grandkids a complex. None of us do that. I know that. None of us. Sister Callender, you know we don't do that. This woman deals with children every day. And a lot of the problems that kids struggle with today is because they're being compared with somebody else. Maybe not that much here, but in our world, it is certainly a truth. It'll wreck your children. It'll wreck a relationship. And so when you, when you, when you get to Comparisonville, there's one more town you're going to hit before you hit bottom. And that is those two cities will always lead to unthankfulness. You know what? I, I was shocked. I got my Bible program out and I trust my Bible program. And if you find something different, come tell me and I'll straighten. I'll come back and confess that I didn't say it right. But do you know that not one time in the entire book of Ecclesiastes, not one chapter, not one verse, not one word, in the entire book of Ecclesiastes do you read the word thank, thanks, thankful, thankfulness, glad, happy, satisfied. Not one time. Joy is mentioned four times. And one of those four times, it was talking about him, not God's joy. You know what makes life miserable? You know why the joy is gone for a lot of people? It's because they've forgotten how to be thankful for what they have. I didn't hear Solomon say anything about, I pursued it and I was so thankful when I accomplished it. But it was like he pursued it, and as soon as he got that, he dropped it, and he started reaching for something else. He pursued it, he got it, he dropped it, he started reaching for something else. And not one time 
did Solomon in all of his accomplishments, according to what Ecclesiastes wrote, when he's looking back over his life, it doesn't seem that one time did Solomon ever stop and say, thank you, God, for helping me do this. Thank you, God, for letting me accomplish it. Thank you, God, for helping me be the kind of person that can do these things. Not one time. Amen. I'm depressing all of y'all here this morning. I'm going to give you something to smile about before you leave. I'm going to close. Some of you are happy already. I didn't mean that to come out that way, but it worked out. At least you're smiling now. You know what that means when a preacher says in closing? That means you got at least 15 or 20 more minutes. It's like that little girl that brought her neighbor to church with her, and she'd never been to a church like that. And so everything that happened, she was so inquisitive. And, and they stood to pray, and she leaned over, she said, what does that mean? And the little girl explained to her so carefully, oh, that, that means this, and we're going to talk to God. Oh, okay. And so they went through prayer, and then they got through prayer, and, and, and they started uh, they, they, the song leader got up and he said, everybody open your book. And she looked over and she said, what is happening? He says, we're going to worship the Lord in song. Oh, so she's clapping her hand. And then the offering people came and she, what is that? She explained to them about we give and God blesses and we, we return a tithe unto the Lord. Oh, okay. And then you get, preacher gets up and said, well, now, now what's this about? He said, oh, this, this is our pastor. He's going to preach out of the Bible. He's going to give us a word from the Lord. And so he preaches this beautiful sermon. He gets to where he said, and in closing, she went, she said, what does that mean? He said, ignore it. It doesn't mean one thing. <laughs> Not one thing. It does mean something to me. Even amid Solomon's complaining, Solomon said something that is powerfully true and is the key to a happy life, and it's a key to joy and peace and relationships and everything else. And he said this, verse 7, throw it back up on the screen. All the rivers run into the sea, but it is not full. And not only that, but unto the place from whence that water came, it returns. And he infers that that cycle begins again. And so there are three things that I believe are the key that are the elements of a happy, joyous life and having good family and relationship. Number one is that you have to learn how to be a receiver in life. And that's something you need to go home and study on a little bit because I don't, I'm not talking about a taker. There are a lot of takers in life. There are a lot of people that have a handout. You see them on the side of the road every day that's got a sign that said something. And you know full well that most of them could do something if they wanted to. We had a man come by the church not long ago. 
wanted us to give him something. Brother Buddy happened to be here, and he said, well, I tell you what, we got some work to do. Uh, well, I tell you what, I got to go back and take care of this. I'll be back in a few minutes. He has not shown back up yet. Surprise, surprise. Everybody knows how to take, but not very many people know how to receive. Because the difference between takers and receivers is that takers let it end with themselves, but receivers understand that this is not just for me. God didn't give me this just for myself. And so they understand that there's a process involved. So you have to learn the secret to life is about learning how to receive. That learning how to not hold on to things too tightly. That's my pew. That's my parking place. I don't To understand that life gives to us to make us better, not because we deserve it, but because God designed it that way. Do you understand me this morning when I tell you that the sea was continually fed, but not because of anything it had done to deserve or earn being fed? It was just the goodness of God's design in creation that the waters would fall, the creeks would fill, the rivers would run, and the sea would receive the benefit of all of that at some point. And then it would in turn give back. But to be a good person or a good man or a good woman... I have to learn that what God has given me is not given to me because I am so good or I am so smart or I am so wise or so crafty, but God has given to me abundantly over and over and over again things that I do not deserve. And I can do one of two things with them. I can take it or I can learn to be a receiver of it. How many of you have heard the verse, it rains on the just and the unjust? Now when we quote that scripture, you know what we mean something most of the time is negative. That we mean that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. It rains on the just and the unjust. But listen, rain is what produces harvest. And the Bible says that God lets it rain on everybody. But some people never have a harvest because they've never learned to be a receiver. You see, the ground receives the seed. It doesn't take the seed because if it took the seed, there would never be a plant emerge. It would say, this is mine. It belongs to me. I remember hearing Brother Marcus pray over the offering one night when I was preaching revival in Baytown, and I'll never forget. He said, Lord... Help us to understand that the hand that is closed too tight to give is closed too tight to receive. The ground doesn't take the seed. The ground receives the seed. 
and it incubates it for a season. And then it gives back and something begins to grow and be produced out of that receiving. That's what God's trying to teach Greater Life Church is that if you want the joy to return, you want this to be a, this is a year, this is a month of Thanksgiving. This is the month when we celebrate Thanksgiving. That it has to begin with learning how to be a receiver in life, not a taker. To hold those things and understand that I am just a steward of them. They don't belong to me. This is not mine. I was bought with a price. So therefore, he said, glorify God in your body. That's why you need to know how you look and how you present yourself. Because God has deposited something in you that's worthy of you doing your very best. And God has done things for you that ought to make you stand up and say, I want to give God my very best. And so you, you learn to be a receiver. The second thing is that great receivers must be generous givers. The ocean is a great receiver, but it becomes a generous distributor. It does not hoard its blessings, but it gives back. What the rivers bring in, it returns to the earth in the form of clouds and rain. A man is out of joint with the universe and with God's creation who takes all but makes no return. Learn to be a giver, not just a receiver in life. Life is not lost when it is given away. Remember that to give to others is but to sow to yourself. He who is so good a steward as to be willing to use his substance for his Lord shall be entrusted with more. Give, and it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Your life will be forever full if you will learn how to be a giver. Amen. And I close for sure. Let's stand. Number three. In order for all of the above to happen, the receiving and the giving, there's one more thing that has to happen. You have to stay open to the influence of the sun because it is the influence of the sun over the waters in the sea that draw out of it the moisture that accumulate to become the clouds and they move back to the mountains and they fall and come back to the sea. My point is this, that the only kind of life that's really ever going to be blessed is the life that stays open to the influence of God's spirit and God's light in their life. The only person, the principle of a happy life is found in the question, why is the sea not full? Because it receives, it gives. And it receives and gives because of the influence of the sun. It gives and receives because it continually feels the imprint of sunlight upon it. My simple point in this message to you is that my giving and my life 
becomes abundantly blessed when I learn to live in the exposure of the Son of all sons, the Son of God. When I bring myself into that atmosphere and I stay, you see, I am convinced that if Solomon had reversed the numbers and he had talked about God 43 times and himself four, I believe the book of Ecclesiastes would have been a complete different book. But because there was an absence of the sun, there was an absence of light in his life, because I don't know what happened, and there's, listen to me, there's some days, church, that you have to fight to get to the sunlight. You have to fight to get to where there's some light shining, because there's clouds that come, and there's storms that come, and there's all kind of obstacles that get it. There's eclipses that happen in a person's life. And you have to work to stay in the sunlight. But if you will, there's something that happens when you're in the presence of God. There is this cycle. There is this giving and taking and receiving and blessing and abundance. And you don't even know where it comes from. You don't, you don't even know how it happened. But here I am. I, it's not anything that I've done. It's not because I'm a good person necessarily. But it's because God has been good to me and he has allowed his spirit to imprint my life in such a way that I am forever blessed. I am forever blessed. If you will keep yourself in an atmosphere where you are yielded to the influence of the sun, I can assure you that your life will be blessed. I will assure you that your life will be blessed. And that sun can make a difference in this place this morning. If you're depressed or you're discouraged or you're in a bad mood or life's heavy, if you would just find the will to step out from your pew and just step to an altar and say, God, I need your light to shine on my life today. I need your light to penetrate the dark shadows of my mind. I need my spirit to be refreshed today. I, I need my thoughts to be renewed this morning. I, I need the strength of God to be brought again to my life. If you just step out and come on right now, I believe God would meet you here. I believe God would minister to you this morning. I believe God would strengthen you today. A life without a sense of thanksgiving is a life without a sense of destiny and purpose. God, help me to get myself into the place where that spiritual influence can take place. Where I can feel the moving of your spirit. Where I can feel the hand of God working in my life. God, sorting out all of the confusing information. Filtering out all of the distractions, oh God, help me come into your presence right now. Help me, God, to come into your presence right now.